welcome back to the Crash the Pond podcast. It is a Monday, December 18th edition, but more importantly, it is a winning streak edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. Yep, I think two two games. I, I was about to say, are we are we going win- there? It qualifies. Okay, it qualifies. It's consecutive wins. However you want to phrase it, consecutive wins, streaking wins, whatever it is, this uh, this counts to me. This is a winning streak. Yeah, Vibes HC are back, aka they've never left. But the vibes are back. The vibes are back. The always winning is going to be more fun than losing. That's just always how it's going to be. But the Ducks finally got some bounces and breaks to go their way. They had quality goaltending over the last two games, and they were able to to get goal scoring and. Just so happens, kind of Greg Cronin was preaching in the post-game press conference last night or post-game interviews last night about that they were playing well and him uh, him and his staff just really needed to dig in with the players and make it clear that they just need to continue to play the way that they are and eventually things are going to turn. It's not as if they're playing poorly necessarily. And what do you know? Two straight wins in a row off the back of that. Yeah. Yeah, and so tonight I think we're going to focus mainly on the Ducks' 4-3 to win over the Detroit Red Wings to cap off a road trip that was kind of an interesting road trip because we expected the lineup to look a lot different and yep. some, some returns to the lineup never really materialized. But nevertheless, the Ducks found a way to get back in the win column and I think really bounce back from some kind of poor performances, especially against the Rangers on Friday you know, struggling, you know, some really bad periods. And I thought that over the last two games against New Jersey and Detroit, you know, even though it wasn't perfect, this team is is cleaning up its act slowly but surely. And, and, and it's it's turning into wins, which is really good. It's just a really good thing to have for your group because you want them to have something to believe in, give them a reason to believe, to keep pushing in that right direction. Well, it's just nice to have that reinforcement of we can sit here and say, that they've been doing the right things. Sure, there are things that they need to clean up still. The Rangers game, I think you're, you're spot on there. But there were games throughout this losing streak that they deserve to win. But that's tough as a player to really harp on because it just feels like everything's going against you if you're playing right and you're still not getting the results. And so I think it just really helps with the belief, helps with the buy-in, and helps with everything with this Ducks team that they got these two wins tonight. And they did it. I mean, for better or worse, like we hoped and thought that they might get all three of McTavish, Drysdale, and Zegers back. But in some ways, it's kind of a bit of a better thing that they won these mm-hmm. back-to-back games without them because it creates even more of a buy-in, right? Because now you have these guys buying into the system, playing it, and playing good hockey, and now you're going to insert good players in addition to that. And so it's just a recipe for, for success moving forward. The one thing that I think that really we should key in a bit on t- with tonight's game is I think this was their best 60-minute effort in a while. And I think there are quibbles with the the penalties that they took yeah, and just the, the amount that they took late in the game uh, defending a lead. But I think if you kind of remove at least that aspect of it and just look at the on-ice performance throughout the game, I think this was their best 60-minute effort that they've had maybe all season. Um, they, they really put it together. They had a good offense, or they generated a lot of offense at five on five, or throughout the entirety of the game five on five, maybe not as much as you would have liked, but they also limited the amount of damage that the red wings could get at five on five. And it really showed and and they got great goaltending also in addition to that. And so one of the things that we saw on this road trip was them maybe taking off periods here and there, the Islanders, I think the first period of that game, if I'm, I'm thinking back correctly, uh, they were really poor, same thing against the Rangers, same thing against the devils. And so they, they had three straight really bad games in the first, or really poor first periods. 
And they really made up for that in, in the game tonight. And they scored three goals to start off this game and really came out hot. Man, I forgot about the Islanders game. That feels like ancient history now. It does. I mean, we did a podcast after that game. So, yeah. It, but but still, that first period of that Islanders game also w- was a really poor start. Yep. Yeah, they've had some really rough starts. And I thought that tonight against the Red Wings, that was maybe their best period of the season. Like, I mean, you, you, you get out of that period three to nothing. And I really thought that maybe it wasn't like a lopsided scoring chance differential for the Ducks, but they really just controlled that period. They gave up some chances. Lucas Dostal was was very good, I thought, start to finish in this game, despite, you know, three goals against. You might say, oh, that's not that great. But three goals on 32 shots is a good night. He had to stop some really, really difficult one-timers down the stretch. But yeah, that first period, I mean, what I think, I think what you like to see in that period too you know, looking at the first goal is the the D getting involved once again. You know, yeah. Brett Brett Leeson finding Radko Gudis, who just just a perfect shot to to open the scoring for the Ducks. Yeah, an absolutely perfect shot goes uh uses a bit of the the bodies in front as a screen, but makes an absolute perfect shot. I don't know really how much uh Vili Husso could do on that shot with it going bar down, just kind of perfect little shot going up high. Um maybe it's one he would want back, but uh one but that's exactly what the Ducks team need is is getting that goal right there to almost build build the belief, build the confidence there because that kind of helps you push forward and continue the play that they did. And then building into that second goal, you had Leo Carlson um, just dangling around with the puck basically in the offensive zone and finding Pavel Minchikov, who makes a pretty similar shot to Radko Gudis. Oh, you're talking about the second goal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, so between those two goals, there was a really great scoring chance for Troy mm-hmm. Terry. Um, so it was a point shot. So nice little interplay between Leo Carlson and Terry along the left wall, and they get it back to Gudis at the point. He lets it go, and Terry had what looked what seemed to be a wide open cage. You know, kind of a tough angle from that left side, but Vili Husso gets a stick on it and just completely robs him. So at first it looked as though Terry was just you know, with, you know Terry missing a great chance, and people are going to kind of throw their hands up. Oh, here we go again, but. He was actually robbed on that play, mm-hmm. and then on this on yeah. the second goal that you're alluding to, yep. yeah. Once again, I mean, Leo Carlson and Troy Terry and Alex Kalorn, who we should give some flowers to as well. Just those three looked awesome tonight, and they and they've looked honestly, they've looked really good for the last so, three games. Like the, they look good against New Jersey, or they didn't play against New Jersey, but they look good against the Rangers. They look good tonight, and it's just. I mean, I don't want to spoil it too much, but Terry is just really fitting into that line perfectly. And you saw it on that goal. They were able to win battles, keep possession. Mm-hmm. Carlson was just kind of a heady pass back to the point, and Minchikov finds the back of the net too. So, Yeah, we're, we're probably not going to cover the Rangers game too much overall, but I think that the, that's the, the key. The thing. vibes were the opposite of tonight in that game. <laughs> Correct. And uh, there's a couple other things I'll probably bring in as we get later in this game. But one of the things to point out, like you said, is the Terry uh, Terry Carlson Kalorn line. That was the Ducks' best line in that game. If yeah. they weren't on the ice, the Ducks really weren't generating offense. And you're really starting to see the chemistry come through. Troy Terry, we've defended him these last couple times that he needs to generate more offense, needs to be playing better in the offensive zone, but that shouldn't negate him necessarily being praised for how good he's been defensively and the the hate going towards him has has gone overboard at times and we've really seen him simplify things in some ways over these last three games um he's not necessarily trying to go through multiple people he's making the pass when he needs to feeding off of guys 
having a little bit of interplay. It's basically what we talked about. Him and Trevor Zegris does a lot or do a lot in the offensive zone. And so I think it's really interesting that maybe it's just something they have sat down and, and worked on it in practice a, a bit more. And they're able to read off, off of each other a bit more. Maybe Troy Terry sat down and, and watched some tape and really focused on what he needed to do a little bit better to, to play on that line. And they're seeing the fruits of it, though. And Troy Terry's looking dangerous. Leo Carlson's looking dangerous. Alex Kalorn is looking dangerous also. And that entire line is really generating a lot of offense for this team. And, I mean, Troy Terry last night against the Devils also at 4-on-4 was one of the most dangerous players for the team on the power play also. Like, in, in all situations, he's creating offense for this team. And... Even though he's not scoring goals yet necessarily at the well, same pace that he has, well, at oh, the I same he, pace, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, at the same pace that he has in the past, because he didn't score against the Devils and he didn't score, uh, or he did score tonight. He did score against um, the Devils, but he did he? Yeah, he had a goal and an assist against the Devils. How am I? Oh, yeah, there was the four and four goal. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the, everything's blended Jake, together. And everything, I'm to everything that's not at five on five just doesn't exist in in Jake what? World. I, I just praised him for his four and four. No, the four and four yeah. shot was really, really nice. And then tonight he also scored. Um, yeah. But I, I think people would look at some of the chances he had and the fact that he hasn't scored those, for instance, the save by who's so sticking out with the stick. Um, and those are going to go in. And the fact that he's getting those types of looks continually is really, really good for him because the puck is going to continue to go in more and more and more. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's the thing with him. That's fun right now is that he's, playing within the team concept a lot more he i saw him attempt a give and go tonight which is has mm-hmm. not be, has not been part of his game very much up until now this season and he's also he's just looking a lot more dangerous off the rush he's more patient i put it i put out a clip from the ranger game where you know he's he is dangling through guys but he's going at a slower pace he's letting the play develop and he's just adjusting to what's in front of him as opposed to trying to force the issue like we saw so often early on in the season. So he's getting back to what made him great, but also he's he's bringing a little bit of a different brand of hockey and it's and it's gelling really well with Carlson and Kalorn. You know, cuz at first it was kind of like, man, that might just not be a good fit. Yeah. But we I talked think about he, it last episode. But I think he has adjusted his game and I think getting the point production now, I mean, I mean he's got 6 points in 5 games goals and back-to-back games like that is like we were just talking about that helps the belief and the buy-in yeah i mean it's one of those things where we talk a bunch about the fact that eventually it will start going in but it's really hard when you're in that moment right and the puck is just not going in feels like you're doing everything well but it it's just not happening for you and i think Mm -hmm. getting those couple of goals to go in i mean to be honest maybe it's that goal against the islanders that just goes off a skate and goes in the net for him (laughs) um yeah and and it's one of those that starts kind of allows you to loosen up allows you to not worry as much and you're just able to kind of find the back of the net and so um maybe this is that's a sign because you're spot on having that the couple of them go in really helps uh you continue to move forward and play the way that you've been playing yeah, catch like the ketchup bottle moment as uh, D. Lowry puts out there. I was hoping that wouldn't get said, but it did. That's okay. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, so then going through this this first period though, Vili Huso got hurt. Um, but prior to that, Dos, Lucas Dostal got ran into, and I think that was by um, I'm blanking on the player's Co- name. I think it was Costin. Yes, Clem Costin. I, I, I missed it because I was driving home and haven't had a chance to go back and look at that specifically. But yeah, I know that you you the, saw that and thought it the was player, a bad play. The player that got ran later by Gudis. Um, anyway, won't really comment on that too much, but mm-hmm. it was a clean hit. But Dostal gets ran, and then the Ducks go to the power play. And 
the Ducks' first power play unit right now, these are the five players. The, this is PP1 right now in Anaheim. Ryan Strom, Adam Henrique, Frank Vetrano, Jakob Silverberg, and Cam Fowler. Like, they are the first unit. We need to stop calling them power play two because they more often than not get put out there first. Well, they, yeah. they, more, they more often than not play the majority of the power play. Like, that is, that is, the, that is the first unit. And, you know, tonight... I don't know if they actually scored on the yeah it was it was in the power play they did yeah and Cam Fowler with a clever little shot pass to Adam Henrique who just tips it home Mm -hmm. I thought that they did not look good at all prior to that I was so close to tweeting something about that and then they score but then they scored so I'm really glad I held off so veteran move by me I've been burned enough by that in the past but there's been so many of those for both of us over time I just don't. I don't really fully get it because I think that they are good at like, I think what they do well. And I think that what Greg Cronin and Newell Brown like about that unit is that they are good at maintaining possession. The puck stays in the offensive zone more often with those five out there. The level of just danger that they generate though, is just, it's just clearly lower, but that was a really nice play. Cam Fowler actually leveraging his point shot in a in a productive manner yeah. there so it was a great great little shot pass from him um yeah, yeah. i mean la- last week that's why even i mentioned i think when we were talking about the power play units last week that i wasn't even really calling them pp1 and pp2 just because it like i think technically by usage yeah the the fowler unit is but i think just calling it the fowler unit and the minshikov unit is a much easier way to go about it because whichever one starts it's usually a Fowler unit, but it really just kind of goes back and forth from time to time. It no, but on almost, they're they're starting almost well, all of them. And like, this is where where I'm going to go. It's about almost who scored the most recent. And yeah. so because that unit with Admin Reek on it scored last game against the uh, against the Devils, and I think that they scored against the Rangers. I would need to double check that though um, on the power play. But uh, I don't know. The let me see. Uh, no, the Ducks did not. That unit did not score against uh, the Devils on the power play. Um, you talking about the Devils or the Rangers? Sorry, Rangers. All of this is now blending together in my own yeah. head. Um, but I think because that unit has scored more recently, that's why they're getting thrown out there. I think it's very much a reactionary decision, which I disagree with completely. I think you should be looking at... Yeah, which... this is kind of the opposite of what Greg Cronin has been preaching of Correct. process over results. Like This is, to me, more about results than process. But I think probably the thought process there is that the power play is a little bit... Power plays can be a little bit streaky... And so you're going to go with the unit that has been streakier. I disagree with that thought process. I think you want to get the work in. I think the one benefit that you have is that with the injuries that the Ducks have had, I think that the Minchikov unit is not as stacked as it typically would be. Um, but it still has, I mean, that still has Leo Carlson there. Especially when has, Leo Carlson is in the lineup. I like feel like that, you that, have to go to those to those guys. That has Carlson, Terry, uh, Minchikov, uh, I think they've had Jones there lately, right? I mean, just and... just those five. Just those five alone. I mean, sorry, just those three. So yeah. tonight, it was actually really fascinating. Um, or it might have been... I'm getting confused. It might have been against New Jersey. Night. Yeah. They had Jackson Lacombe on yep. that unit. And they had yep. Jackson Lacombe on the right, in the right face-off circle as kind of this offhand shooter type. And I thought he actually looked really good. I thought that mm-hmm. that unit looked great together. We didn't really see... I don't think we saw them tonight together. Or at least we didn't see as much of them. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I kind of get it because the, that power play unit just has more continuity, especially right now with Leo Carlson missing a game last night. You want to go with the, the unit that's spending more time together. But Kalorn's on that unit. That's the other person on that unit. So it, it current 
probably last night because Carlson was out. They had Jones slash Jones got hurt, so Carrick and then Kalorn and Lacombe. yeah, yeah. It's just not it's not my cup of tea. They scored tonight, so maybe I'm the wrong one here. Um, Adam Henrique now quietly has ten goals on the season. Yeah, I just, mean that happened out of nowhere. I mean, if you're looking four- at if you're looking ahead <laughs> the trade deadline, that is a fantastic thing for his trade value because goals, whether it's uh, whether it's right or wrong, having scored goals during the season for the team you're on helps increase your trade value. Yep, pretty much. It's not necessarily about what you're going to do; it's about what you have done when it comes to value. So that's good news for people out there that think he will be traded at the deadline and his value will be going up as a result of the goals that were scored over. Well, his his games. personal his personal PR person on Twitter was touting that after the New Jersey game. So uh, yep. good on his good on his PR staff, aka yep. Nick Alberga. Um, oh, oh, I thought I thought we were gonna <laughs> leave it there, but sure, go off. Nah, I mean, he's he's not gonna listen to this. Um, okay. But uh, in the second period, though, and this is just kind of a broader theme, is that the Ducks have prioritized putting Jackson Lacombe back on his natural side, mm-hmm. and Fowler is the one now playing on his offside on the right Which on that great pairing. decision. And Jackson Lacombe looks great. Who would have yeah. thought? I mean, against the Rangers, against um, the Devils tonight, he just he has he's has had some gaffes. I mean, there was the turnover against the Devils in the first period where he just kind of brain farted into the middle of the ice that gave up a one-timer chance, which wasn't great. But overall, though, I'm very happy to see them make that move. I mean, we heard Pat Verbeek talk about it in an interview, but that's a nice just piece of forward thinking by the Ducks there. Yeah, yeah. Tonight was a little bit rougher overall for him, just when if you look at some of the metrics. Um, yeah. He just wasn't on the ice at 5-on-5 five five for a whole lot going forward. But last night against the Devils, I it was a better night for him overall. And I think just from an eye test perspective, Sure, there's going to be moments like last night against the Devils where he gives up the puck in a really awful situation. But I think overall, the vast majority of the plays are going in the better direction. There's some gaffes that create high-quality chances against, but he's overall moving in the right direction. And that's a huge plus for the Ducks team and for Jackson Lacombe also moving forward. Yeah, no, he was he was great tonight. I mean, I don't really – I don't have much time for what the numbers say. Like, I thought he looked great, but mm-hmm. – Maybe he didn't. It was also kind of a weird game. But then the Ducks would take a four to nothing lead, commanding four to nothing lead. Yep. Uh, a really nice play by Troy Terry on the forecheck to kind of disrupt a clear, and yep. then the puck gets back up to Earl Vakanainen at the point, and Terry just kind of follows that play to the net, and he gathers the rebound, slides it home, and that would give the Ducks a commanding four to nothing lead. And then I thought that in that second period, the Ducks didn't. It wasn't quite as dominant as it was in the in the first period, and we also saw just we saw the the Red Wings kind of gradually claw back into this game, and that reached a, a fever pitch in the third period. Yeah, I think one of the things that I really liked about the Ducks game, uh, or the second period specifically for this Ducks team, is that sure they gave up the the goal to the Red Wings off that weird shot from Petrie where Henrique, for whatever reason, was was shoving the yeah. Red Wing player into. It was just a weird saw. goal. It, yeah. it was a really weird goal. But the one thing that I liked from the Ducks team, I think that this is an overall theme from this entire game for me, is outside of, of when they were on special, uh, outside of when they were killing penalties, I don't think the Ducks ever really necessarily sat back in the game. Like it never felt like it was a Dallas Akins, Dallas Akins turtling, trying to survive, 
trying to just really trap trap teams in the neutral zone. The Ducks were really pushing the pace going the other way, and they were generating offense for themselves, generating chances. Whether it was on the power play, whether it was at five on five, they were really trying to look to gain offense and create offense for them and not necessarily just suppress offense for, for the Red Wings. And that's personally something I really like to see because, sure, for nothing, you have way more of an argument for sitting back on that lead. But, for instance, last night again against the Devils, um, they ended up taking it ended up going for the first four on four that ended up happening when they were up one nothing in the second period. And I remember the broadcast crew more or less stating, uh, I would not be looking to get to four on four in this game against this Red Wings team or sorry, against this Devils, Devils. team. Too many games in short succession uh, against this Devils team uh, with a one nothing lead. The Ducks really should be trying to limit chances against and not and four on four with open ice is just not a great uh, great choice for that. And look at what they did at four on four. They kept pushing play. They kept trying to generate offense. And in tonight's game, it was a very similar thing at four on four when it happened a couple of different times. Is the Ducks didn't necessarily try to clog things up at four on four or at five on five. They were fine with opening up and trading chances and, and mm-hmm. really pushing the play and trying to get more goals. And it's just a really fun way of playing. It doesn't feel like they are negating defensive responsibilities as a result of that either. It feels like they are they are just trying to push play, control play, and, and have all of that happen. I think that that's a really nice thing to see. Um, to jump ahead slightly, this was something that was really nice to see after the third Red Wings goal, that this is just more so a Greg Cronin thing. But he instantly threw out Leo Carlson on the ice, mm-hmm. and he could have been justified to throw out a Sam Carrick, for instance. Or, I mean, that – or, I mean – Thinking back to years past, Dallas Akins would have thrown out Derek Grant in that situation, right? Mm-hmm. And what did Greg Cronin do? He sent out his 19-year-old center of the future. 18. No, he's 19 now, isn't he? Is he? Didn't Leo Carlson just turn 19? They called him 18 on the broadcast. Am I going crazy here? Am I just he's mixing 18. up everything? Ugh, he's 18. I'm, I think I'm yeah. thinking of Pavel Minchikov, who just turned 20 then. Um, yeah. My bad there. But the fact that he threw out the, him, he threw out Troy Terry also. Yeah. Like, he threw out these guys, and what did they do when they were on the ice? They didn't sit back. They pushed the play and tried to generate offensive looks, and they did generate offensive looks uh, f- as a line. And I think that that's just more so a mentality thing, more so a coaching staff thing that is just so nice to see. Yeah, and and in, in your defense, Leo Carlson would be 19 on December 26th. So There we go. He's coming up. He's yeah. coming up uh, soon here. But, yeah, I thought that, you know, go, leading up to that third and kind of the, the period where the – the Red Wings really started to press and, and make the game close. Like we really saw so much good play from Leo Carlson, Alex Kalorn and Troy Terry. And one thing I kind of want your take on okay. at least, and I'll, I'll throw in my two cents is this, this kind of notion that, that Leo Carlson needs to shoot more and that he's already in this kind of Ryan gets box of, Oh, he's passing off looks, you know, cause one of Leo Carlson's favorite plays, this might be his, the foundation of his offensive entry game is when he enters the offensive zone, he's going to attack the middle, draw in defenders and then kick out. And so that's, that's his mindset is I'm going to use my frame, my speed, my puck protection to draw the attention to me and then create space for my wingers. And he does that very effectively. He's done that very effectively since the minute he's started playing in the NHL and there's been, there's often commentary, whether it's on the broadcast or just judging mm-hmm. by people's replies, that oh he's 
he needs to shoot the puck more in these mm-hmm. situations. He's just, why is he passing up these shots? And I think that I just hate this kind of binary approach of, oh, it's a, a player is either thinking shoot well, or pass, shoot or pass. Like you got to think about what he's trying to actually accomplish in those situations. And yeah, could he work a shot more into those scenarios sometimes, but also he is skating into that traffic so that they do collapse on him. And when they're collapsing on you, it's not easy to get a shot off and it might not be the best play. So I just want to, I want to, I want to, I just want to reframe the conversation of, Oh, he's, he's passing up shots. It's like, no, you got to look at the intent of the play first. I think I know the exact play you're talking about though. It was the, it was the rush where Terry has in the neutral zone dishes it to, to Carlson more so in the middle of the ice Mm-hmm. And there's, I think Labushkin was also going up the right-hand side and it was more so basically a three on two rush. And he ended up dishing it back to Terry who then comes down the wing and takes a shot from the angle, trying to go short side high. And I remember specifically seeing, I think in discord and on Twitter, basically saying Carlson needs to shoot the puck there mm-hmm. and he needs to shoot the puck more. And I think you're spot on there. I, I think the creativity, the ability to draw guys in is so important because He's up near the top of the circles, or sorry, above the faceoff dots at that point in time. Shooting it from that angle is not really going to do a whole lot for you. He's looking to create a more dangerous chance. And one thing that I think also is worth pointing out with Leo Carlson, and something as you were talking really popped into my head, is he uses a really long stick, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, that. that's something that's, I think, been super noticeable for me is how long of a stick he uses. And so when he has the time and space, he's really able to lean into those shots and get it going. Um but one of the most important parts about having that long stick is being able to move the puck around and change your passing, change your shooting angle. But if you're in tight spaces, you're not going to be able to drag and shoot as easily because you have such a long stick. And so be as a result of that, I think he is much more uh, reliable or can create more offense by moving the puck to different angles to make good passes while drawing in the other guys as compared to getting a somewhat weak shot off because he has a uses a longer stick in that situation where he can't necessarily get it off in his feet as easily as some guys that maybe use a shorter stick. I, I 100% agree. I mean, I think that that's a good point is that his, his game just isn't really tailored to getting those quick shots off in tight spaces. Mm-hmm. He can do it. And we've, we've seen him incorporate more and more shooting off the rush but he does it in a situation where he's he can load his stick a bit more like he's setting up for the shot i mean i kind of view i kind of view uh leo carlson a bit as like Le- i don't want to comp- i'm not comparing him to lebron james like you know in terms of their accomplishments but okay lebron james throughout all, his whole career got a lot of flack for passing instead of shooting like late in games right it's like oh why isn't he taking the big shot and it's because he's making the right play you know, maybe a star of his stature should be taking the shot, but, or you want to see them take a shot just as kind of a, a casual fan or whatever for their legacy. But in that moment, you're making the right play. You're making the right hockey play for Leo Carlson. I feel like that's what he's doing. It's not because he's consciously choosing to pass or shoot. It's because he's making the right play in that situation. If you're attacking the middle, D collapses on you and you see Troy Terry on your wing, who's got a bunch of space, why would you force the shot up the middle? It just doesn't make sense. So it's just Leo is just making the right play in that situation. I haven't, I honestly haven't really seen him maybe for like once or twice where I thought, man, he really should have shot it. Like it's, it's pretty rare that he does that. Yeah. And that honestly, I, I, that's only happened a couple times and it almost felt like it was in a game where every single player on the ducks was doing that. Right. Yeah. Like it almost um, felt like it was more noticeable as a result of that. 
like I feel like with Ryan Getzlaff, because that's the comparison that everyone goes to. Yeah, it w- it's an it easy was, one to make. It was also just more overt. Like Ryan Getzlaff, there were times where you could see that. And even then, I would argue that a Ryan Getzlaff pass is probably the best play in that situation because of how great of a playmaker he was. But yeah. regardless, like the way Leo attacks off the rush is just totally different than anything Ryan Getzlaff ever did. He's way more dynamic off the rush using his feet, using his, his stick handling. And so... Yeah, that's just the result of it. And and he's going to find ways to build these patterns where he can attack at an angle, but you, but use it to create a shooting opportunity, like drive to the middle, but then use that to create space to shoot. Like he's going to find that. But right now, that's kind of his that's kind of his bread and butter play. And I just people need to see it for the overall intent, not just, oh, he's shooter pass, shooter pass. Like it's not always that simple. So, yeah. I, I completely agree. And also when he's feeding it to Troy Terry in those situations, Terry has two uh, has three goals in his last four games. Yeah. And and Terry's letting it rip. Terry is the opposite right now. Like he had a couple of two on ones tonight. I think they were both at four on four where I was kind of thinking, man, like you probably want to pass here. And he just he let it fly. And one of them, I don't know if it hit the post. Do you know what you're talking about? The one that went short side, not the one that like missed way over the net, the first one. Uh oh yeah 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 I think that it was in the like third it, pe- that was in the yeah. third period right it, it may have hit the outside of the net yeah third pe- third period and I think that was that was I think fairly soon after one of the goals I think and, and the Ducks were going the other way and they get a quality chance pushing the play in the third period up goals yeah and and he what I love about Terry right now is that he even on that shot like he kind of set it up to where he's looking middle looking middle looking for the pass and you see the goalies start to come off his post a little bit, cheating a little bit, and he just let it rip, and he almost had him. And, I mean, he scored on a similar shot just yesterday against New Jersey off the rush. So, anyway, that was a bit of a tangent, but I'm defending Leo Carlson's honor because it's just it's too much. Leo Carlson now has, by the way, 15 points in 22 games. Nice. Yeah, not too too shabby at all. 0.68 points per games play, which I think is... Looking at this third for mm. for rookies with a significant amount of games played behind uh, Connor Bedard and Connor Zary are the only people ahead of him. So not too shabby. Pavel Minchikov is fourth in the league, by the way, in points for rookies. Yeah, and there was I saw some stat tonight about how he's having one of the best like twenty one and under seasons statistically that we've seen. Yeah. So yeah, he's playing. He, I thought he actually had a really good game tonight. Pavel Minchikov yep. did the last I mean, two games. The assist he I, had on the Henrik goal, yeah, was was nice. Um, yeah. But but to cover that third period though, just to round out this game, I mean, let's not sugarcoat it. Like this wasn't a great period for the Ducks. But one thing I try to keep in mind, you know, evaluating a team is that there's two teams on the ice, and at the end of the day, it's hard to play a perfect sixty minutes. You're playing a, a a Detroit Red Wings team that does have a lot of top end talent. At some point, they're going to wake up. They're going to press the issue, and you have to find a way to survive that. And the Ducks did not do themselves any favors in that regard. I mean, you look at the Strom penalty, which, at the end of the day, I think it was canceled out. Like it, there there were two penalties on that play. But I'm gonna I'm gonna give some flowers. I'm gonna take my hat off here to Brian Hayward for just torching Ryan Strom for the slash. Did you see that? No, I didn't. I missed oh. that. I, w- I was dealing with a, a crying child at one point in time in the third, so I missed well, so some bits and pieces. There was a kerfuffle after the whistle at one point, and uh-huh. the I think that the I think that the, I think it was going to be a penalty regardless. I don't quite remember, but anyway, 
Strom just basically just blatantly slashes a Red Wings player, and it was just a needless penalty. Like it just didn't can, need to, it just didn't need to happen. And and can, Hazy Hazy called it out, and I appreciate that. Can I get on my soapbox here? Sure. I don't know where you're going with this, but let's see. My it. my soapbox here is that the Ducks veterans need to have better composure in third periods. Yeah, like Radko Gudis tonight. Yeah. Rad, Radko Gudis and uh, the Rangers game is the one I really want to focus on here, mm-hmm. and the penalty he took late in that game because I I think a good contrast uh, between that Strom play, the the Gudis play, and things like that is Leo Carlson in Colorado when he got tripped up. Curtis McDermott comes up and challenges him because he thinks he dove. And instead of doing anything back, what does Leo Carlson do? He just skates away. Down two yeah. goals, skates away, gets the Ducks a five on three as a result of that, and ends up, they end up scoring, and they make it a one goal game in that situation. And it's a very, like, for a sport that's very much about team first, team first, team first, these plays are extremely selfish by these players. And, you have Ryan Strom doing that, and the Radko Gudis one is is one that was extremely frustrating for me. It was late in the Rangers game. He gets cross-checked in front of the net by Barkley Goodrow. They're down two goals with five minutes left. Oh, yeah. And sure, that should have been a penalty on Barkley Goodrow. No, no, no issues there. But Radko turns around, slashes him in the back of the leg where there's no padding and does it hard. And it just makes yourself open to take a penalty in that situation. And best case scenario. Like, he didn't look at the ref to see if there was a penalty being called on Goudreau. But best case scenario, right? It's mm-hmm. evened up four on four. Goudreau got, Goudreau got, uh, Goudreau slashed or cross checked, uh, Radko Goudis. Radko Goudis slashed him. Four on four hockey, that's where it's at. Best case scenario, or sorry, worst case scenario is that Goudis gets tossed from the game. The Ducks go on a penalty kill and it ices the game completely. If Goudis keeps his head there and doesn't slash him, then the Ducks could be going on a power play. Like, he does not know that there's a penalty call or not on Goudreau, but that could negate the power play. And so it's just one of those situations of, by making it about yourself and getting your pound of flesh, you are screwing over your team late in a game, icing the game and giving the other, or essentially giving the other team a chance to ice the game. You're taking two minutes off of the clock when you're down two goals. It's selfish. It's something that has to be cleaned up. And... It's just, it's infuriating and it just goes to the the point of penalties are an issue. And yeah. I, I think the holding the stick call tonight was, was maybe a little bit more wishy-washy, but no, you, he, you, he, he held he it. He clamped like, down and, and yeah. Minchikov, you got to be smarter with your stick and not go for a guy's, uh, go for a, uh, a guy's stick in that situation and be calmer with your, your stick. And so it's just, the penalties are an issue. And you can complain all you want about the Ducks not getting the power plays going the other way also. Tonight, they definitely did. Um, But the Ducks are putting themselves in those situations to take those calls. And you can't do that. You can't do that late in a game. You just can't. Well, that's the theme with Gudis is that when he feels wronged, like because the the, the holding the stick on JT Comfer, they were battling in front. And I think he kind of felt like there there was something there. And so he was furious at the official. And it's like... Yeah, well, if you if you wrap your arm around a guy's stick and you well, hang on, they're gonna call it. Like and, you, it's not and that Nicola, complicated. Nicholas Rage is saying Goodrow was hiding behind his visor and starting shit all game. I don't blame him for being frustrated. He got his pound of flesh because they didn't call Goodrow. Great, Goodrow did what he wanted. the The Rangers got a power play out of it. They scored on it, iced the game, and won the game. I guarantee you, Goodrow does not give two shits. Gudis, on the other hand, screwed over his team. 
Like yeah. he is paid to be a veteran leader on this team. That is not what veteran leaders do. That is not the example you want to set for your teammates. Skating away and having composures in those situations to allow your team to try to come back in the game is more important than having a selfish uh, a selfish uh, slash back in that situation. Yeah, I mean, I think Ta- that the... Ju- take, taking it into your own hands just doesn't do yourself any the good. The justification is always, oh, well, they didn't call it in their team. It's like, well... That is what it is. You can't. You have no control over that, but you do have control over your response. Of course, easy for us to say we're not in the heat of battle, but these guys are trying to win games. They're trying to He's, put points in the board. And he was he was paid. He was brought in and paid to be a veteran leader on this team. And I think he's been good. This is yeah. not like well, they were they were talking him up as the the captain of the team tonight. Like on the this broadcast. is not meant to necessarily shit on Gudis overall and his play overall, but I think it's just more indicative of the problem that. You have an 18-year-old rookie that is more composed in these situations. Pavel Minchikov against the Devils when uh, Jack Hughes is trying to come after him. Yeah, that was good by Pavel. You have these under-20-year-old guys that are more composed than your veteran guys on your team and and helping your team in that situation. Like, that is a problem. Yeah. No, I mean, the the, the three... I mean, because the four penalties at the end of the game... I mean, Lucas Dostal tripping... Just tripping a player is not yeah. a good penalty. Not good. R- Ryan Strom trying to get his pound of flesh. Not good. Radko Gudas holding the stick. I don't care what anyone says. That's a clear penalty. It was, again, him thinking he was wronged. And then Pavel Michikov. Not a good penalty either. You're responsible for your stick. And, I mean, the the, the Red Wings got close. I mean, they, they made it a, they made it a one-goal game. Um, I thought that Lucas Dostal was huge. He huge was very down good. the stretch. I mean, there were... There was a consecutive plays where he made just perfect saves on cross ice plays, one timers from the dots. There was one on pa- Patrick Kane. I mean, he st- he foiled Patrick Kane a couple times. Um, there was one on Alex Debrinket, and so and Debrinket would eventually score. But if it's not for Dostal and just how solid he is down the stretch, there the Ducks probably don't escape with a win down the stretch. Yeah, um, and and also. They- Shout out, shout out to Lucas for taking the shot at the empty net. So cool. <laughs> oh, man. I I thought he had it. Like, as I saw it coming out, I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to get it. He's going to get it. And then it just hit the outside. So that was very unfortunate. I, I would love a goalie goal. Yep. I think he's going to get one, though. I mean, he got one in the AHL. And apparently, according to our Derek Lee, he practices those every practice. Yeah. That's, that's like his thing. Yeah. I mean, he had the time and space. Whether it was him or a defenseman, anyone taking a shot like that when they have time and space is going to be a good play because the end result is a goal, an icing of the game. So, yeah. um, high, I, high, high reward. Yeah, like I have absolutely no issues with Lucas Dostal making that play in that situation. Yeah, no, he, it, man, I wanted that to go in so bad. But, yeah, you know, overall thoughts on this game, though. Oh, re- Real oh. quick, want to mention this because DB Lowry brings up a somewhat good point here about Gudis tonight having more a bit more composure, saying he showed composure by not cleaning out Costin for running over Dostal in that situation. Instead, kind of made sure got a clean open ice hit on him later. Why and I, was he was he on the ice when that happened? Don't know, but okay. the, the but the point still stands. Key, like key if, fact, if, <laughs> no, but the point still stands. Right of that's how you go about if you want to show that you're hard to play against. You want to do that? Make it stand in those ma- in those situations, not hamstringing your team. People are gonna hate this take by me, but I don't care. I'll say it. Okay. Chirping a guy when he's down and like clearly in pain after you've hit him, just not a not. A, I don't know what he said to him. Maybe he was apologizing, but 
assuming he was yeah, like, who oh, knows? That's, assuming he was like, that's what you get. It's just like, eh. Like, he looked like he was hurt, and he turned out not to be. But anyway, just not my cuppa. Not my cup of tea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, Unclear. though, I mean, overall, this was a great game. Um, I thought that, yes, the end was shaky, no doubt. But when you when you add in some of the mitigating factors, like end of a road trip, you know, tired legs, tired minds, uh, although this has been kind of a habit for the Ducks this season. Yeah, penalties overall, are for sure a habit. Overall, you're going to give it a, a passing grade. Like this was, I thought that almost everyone on this team had a good game tonight. Almost everyone had some really solid contributions. I mean, Minchikov, Gouda scored a goal. Urovac and yep. had some good moments. Um, Jackson Lacombe really kind of stepping back into his into his lane here. Troy Terry continuing his his streak. Like Lucas Dostal. Like I just thought up and down the lineup, there were guys you could point to that that really helped contribute in a winning effort. Yep. Yeah. I think that I think tonight was definitely that. I think last night was also a situation because we we're not going to talk too much about last night's game, but like that was a game that they didn't have Leo Carlson, no Mason yeah. McTavish still, no Trevor Zegras, no Jamie Drysdale. The uh, our Discord was was a little bit of a woe is me going into that game, thinking that it was it was a guaranteed loss. And the Ducks didn't play a good first period, but John Gibson was fantastic in that first period and held them in it through the second period before he had to leave uh, due to hydration issues. Um, quote quote and, unquote. Quote, I, unquote, hydration I mean, issues. Elliot Friedman said that he actually texted someone on the ducks and they got back to him saying, I know that people aren't going to believe this, but it really was that they're like, going to they, say, they, we would never were, lie. We, there, there was us? nothing like that, but us? We, we would never lie. No, not us. But, but the, the ducks deserve credit at four on four to be able to create chances for themselves in that game and come out with a, well, the highlight, of- the highlight of the game was Troy Terry's assist on a, on the Adam Henrique, the second Adam Henrique goal. Like yeah. that, that play to finding Chikov. Yeah. Winning a board, winning two board battles, you know, and then having the patience, the presence of mind to get it across the ice to Pavel Minchikov, who then also has the presence of mind to, you know, he was looking for Henrique on that backdoor play. It hits the pad of Akira Schmid and Henrique then taps it in. But just that play really, I mean, along with all the other things Troy Terry has been doing is uh, Troy's back. Troy's back is all I can say. Yep. And John Gibson also left uh, today to head back to Southern California for the birth of his child. Um, so congratulations to the Gibson family for that. Uh, if the child has been born, if not, good luck and future congratulations. Um, and so um, Gibson, though, I would imagine would be available for the Ducks later this week. Um, now that the Ducks will be home and we'll have to wait and see on, on whether the other guys will be available also because Mason McTavish took warmups. That was yeah. a whole fun thing with warm-up gate of the Ducks not posting the lineup and, and trying to wait and see if he was going to be in with him actually taking warm-ups. But I, I think that's a good sign that Mason McTavish is close, um, and he probably will be in on Thursday. Very curious to see what happens with, with Zegers and Drysdale because, I mean, you would imagine that them going on the road trip was a sign they were close. I think maybe they didn't want well, to rush here's, them. And- here's the thing, though. This, okay. is something we, this, this is something we talked about is that it's easier to get McTavish back in the lineup just from a roster management perspective. If you if you do the IR and then you can just slot him back in, if you put in Zegers and Drysdale, that picture gets more complicated. And so I don't necessarily take McTavish Fair. being being in warm-up as a sign of he's closer than the other guys are. I think it's just a matter of they can fit him in more easily 
like on a whim here at the end of a road trip than they can with the other guys. Um, because the other guys have been skating for a while. Like I, I like the approach that they're taking with these three of these guys are supremely important to the franchise. Let's not rush this. Let's get it right. But I, I wouldn't look at it and say, Oh, McTavish is the closest one. Just, just based off of that. That's fair. That's fair. Cause yeah, he didn't have to be activated off IR. Maybe it was a situation where they were iffy and they didn't want to have to send, I mean, this is now reading into this a whole lot, but yeah. maybe they didn't want to have to put a guy on waivers, have him get claimed without being able to go home. Same thing with Hag, Robert Hag, not sending him back one day early uh, when it wasn't necessary. So it may be a situation where we'll need to watch the waiver wire over the next day or two, see when, uh, if, when, if, or when Robert Hag is sent down so that Jamie Drysdale can be activated off of IR. But I, I think no matter what, those three will be back pretty soon. Soon. I would say before the before the new year. Like I, I yes. think that that's realistic. And it, it, rem- it, remember the report that we all dunked on of oh by Christmas. Yeah. I mean, who do you think who do you think will be back? Or sorry, who who do you think will be back in Thursday's game? Do you think all three? One, two. Make a prediction I, here. Do I predict with my heart or my head? Because my 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 heart all, predictions tend to be wrong. Always heart. Always heart. If I'm going to go with my heart, I think they're all three are back on yep. Thursday. I think that they're all ready to, I mean, cause they're going to get a practice in, they're going to get a morning skate in, they're going to be able to evaluate them. I mean, part of the recovery process is how you respond, how the injury responds to travel. And I mean, Mason is clearly close. Um, and then I, the other two, I think are extremely close as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a bunch of roster movement into Thursday and, and all three are back. That is my prediction. Yep. One other, before we get to questions, I, I haven't actually had a chance to listen to the full interview, but uh, Pat Verbeek did an interview with Bob McCallum podcast. You listened to it, correct? Correct. I, I listened to most of it, yeah. Yeah, anything of, of note that you want to point out from it that is either new information or things that he uh, Pat Verbeek added to? I don't think so, really. I mean, okay. yeah, I don't... I guess I'm just so mired in like Duck's world that it nothing really stood out that much to me. Although I think the one thing that was noteworthy was the the heart you know the harping on the injuries to those to those three guys McTavish Drysdale and Segris and just he he actually said like I wouldn't count on seeing them on the road trip and that they are being very cautious with their return and so now that we've seen it play out it makes sense that it played out the way it did like they are close but they're being as cautious as as possible yep all right, let's get to some questions. Unless there's anything else you want to touch on, no. I mean, I've said it. Before, I've harped on him a lot this season, so I think it is right just to reiterate that Troy Terry has been playing very, very well as of late. He's doing all the little things that I think he wasn't doing earlier this season. He's also having his Troy Terry moments where he's just flying down the wing, um, and it's just good to see. Even against the Rangers, a game where the Ducks struggled at times, I thought that he was their best player. Um, and so I know that people still aren't really fully happy with him because he's getting paid $7 million now, but he's doing a lot of good things out there and the points are coming now and hopefully it's, it's just going to continue. And then also just Jackson Lacombe. I thought that the assist he had on the Kalorn goal against New Jersey was just perfect vision. And that's the thing when he's on his natural side, it just feels like good things happen. Yep. Yep. All right, so we'll get to our questions. We're going to start with our Discord. So go to patreon.com slash crash to be able to uh, give us questions in our Patreon-exclusive 
Discord channel that you can access at the $2 tier. Uh, DRock said, just a thought I had today. Uh, would the Ducks have been better off implementing a workload plan for Jamie Dryzo when he first came into the league at 18 like they did with Carlson? Verbeek spoke on the Bottom of Callum podcast about how a lot of 18-year-olds coming into the league get hurt because they're not physically strong. Oh, I just want to shout out someone in our chat here. Steven saying, hello, Felix. I'm Andy Strader's friend. Keep up the great work. Steven, Andy told me about you. Appreciate you listening. Really appreciate that. Um, anyway, shout out to you, Steven. But uh, Shout out. Yes. So I saw that question today, and I actually groaned because let's just, like, let's not mince words. The Ducks screwed up the Jamie Drysdale development arc. Like, he was rushed. Even I know it was a weird COVID season. I know that there were the options were limited. Um, I know he was playing well in San Diego, but to me, there was a point where it became obvious that being in the NHL just wasn't working out for Jamie Drysdale. And so could he have benefited from that in his first full season? Yeah, of course. I think every great, every young player can very much benefit from this plan. I mean, look at Adam Fantilli right now having to play on the fourth line, playing sporadic minutes. So dumb. It's inarguable that he would be, it's inarguable that he would be better off playing, you know, less often, but when he's playing, playing on the first, yes. on the first line. Yeah. Like, so that yes, to me, sorry, so, go ahead. So, anyway, just to say that, yes, Jamie would have benefited, but like, I hate revisiting the whole Jamie situation because he shouldn't have been in the pros that early anyway. And the whole thing was just botched and, I don't want to say it's necessarily all in the Ducks' fault because of the extenuating circumstances, but I don't know. It's just a frustrating situation. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like that was necessarily about, or that was about putting together the the best lineup, the best defense group that they could because Drysdale yeah. was that at the time as compared to as compared to prioritizing his development and the best long term plan for him as a player. Which this with Carlson feels like that is is the key element, and I think that. One thing I want to mention, I saw saw something on Twitter, but this is this is not a load management. And I think that that is something that's been used to describe this at various points in time. We've said it, but as time has gone on, it's become clear it's not a load management plan. It's a development plan. Like that is the absolute best way to put it is it's development plan because they're working uh working him off ice on those games hard and allowing yeah, him not, to try to build resting. muscle. No, yeah. it's not about getting rest. It's about working about adding muscle. And in some ways, watching a game from the press box can be good for a player like that to be able to pick up on the speed of the game, see things that he's somewhat missing while on the ice and can help him long term. And overall on this, like this Carlson thing is he's probably going to miss 10 games. Yeah, like that. That's, I think, the biggest thing. But yes, I think other players could certainly benefit from this. I think the key thing of it is he's playing a shit ton when he plays. He's he's getting first line. He's getting on the power play. He's yeah. he's playing in key situations, and that's how that's what he's gonna do when he's um, when he's fully formed. And so it really does go against all the traditional NHL convention of oh, you know, you got you got to start on the fourth line and then work your way up. Like that's just not. I don't like guys succeed in spite of that. I mean, look at look at how Trevor Zegers started out his career and just playing on the wing, playing on the third line. You know, being coddled and not not being given like what he's eventually going to do right away. And so that's a guy who I think would have really benefited was Trevor Zegris. Yes. You know, we yeah. Jamie Dreisel shouldn't have been in NHL period that soon. But Zegris, man, he would have benefited from this because yep. he is a guy who if he had kind of kept developing physically as he's also entering his first pro season, because that's what Verbeek really harped on in, in, the, in that interview is that 
he saw Leo being kind of worn down and not getting a true offseason after he was drafted because of all the different demands. But then when he got to go back to Sweden and came back and, you know, got there for mm-hmm. development camp and the, the rookie term, he's like, oh, wow, he does look different. Mm-hmm. So we can keep we can potentially keep that train going in season. Um, and so it is a fascinating thing that the Ducks are doing. And I think it is benefiting Carlson, like clearly benefiting yep. him. All right. Skip two questions, so we'll get to them right now. Lacombe Fowler Drumbanger says, John Gibson, the modern-day Matt Duchesne. I think that I probably that means. means... I think it means about, like, the trade that really helped the Avalanche. The That really spurred the Avalanche on their next run is probably where he's going. No, I, I don't think so. I don't think he would get also what Matt Duchesne got in a trade because it's just different contract situations. Yeah, agreed. Um, D-Rock said, taking a look at the Jordan Kyrie situation... Can you ever recall a moment in Ducks history where fans turned on a player on the team for something inconspicuous like that? Ugh, that was such a <sighs> such a moronic display by the Blues fans. And then booed. him getting like cheered in that way, it's almost like, oh, you love me now, but you didn't like what changed, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, oh, You're I'm switching made, it up. Yeah, like, uh, I I feel bad for Jordan Cairo. Uh, I can't think of anything no. like that where anyone that was, on the that, ducks is that was really very bad me. yeah um shaking wing said should the ducks try to re-sign labushkin Lebush, uh, yes uh wow <laughs> he's playing really well uh, yeah but just like he's how many awesome. years how many years five not one not two not three <laughs> you went that i'm on uh, my lebron yeah I, I just don't see space long term right like Eventually, Drew Hellison needs to get a look. Like, eventually, like, Tristan Leno is going to get a longer look. Like, I just don't see it long-term working with the Ducks. Like, the, the, I think the right side is kind of a little more barren, though, than the left side. Sure. I mean, but you've got Drysdale. You've got Leno. I mean, you've got Gouda signed for two more years after this one. Yeah. Like, you have those guys signed. So, the, the, I, the, I, the true locks on the right side right now, like, going into next season are Gudis and Drysdale and Luno. We don't know necessarily if he's going to be in the AHL to start or if he's going to be in the NHL. So you could keep Labushkin around to basically just play the same role. Um, or you could trade him. Like, I don't really think there's a bad answer to this because you might, it might not be the worst thing to just have like a veteran stopgap. And I think that what we've seen with Jackson Lacombe is that yes, you have all these lefties and yes, you want to see them in the lineup, but it just doesn't benefit them to play on the right side. Um, you know, I'd well, rather see I, I I'd think, rather see a righty in the AHL than, you know, playing like well, bad minutes in the I, NHL. I, th- I think long term the the way that a uh the way that an Olin Zelliger gets into the lineup though is with Cam Fowler on the right side. Yeah, but that but that's still him being on the left. Like I just don't see, I don't think you should get those lefty D men these young guys on the right side. Cause I know I, I no, no, I know. But the point is like, there's cam Fowler on the right side. Then like the, the point is I just don't see space long-term for Labushkin on this team. Like, I think he's a good Scott stopgap for this year. I think he's been a good player to be with Pavel Minchikov to really help him, uh, adjust to the NHL to have a Russian voice there with him. But I think that I, I just don't necessarily see there being space for Labushkin. Yeah. I guess I just don't really know who's rising up on the right side. Like, is Hellison ever going to get a chance? Because he looks great right now in San Diego. That like, that's the point, though, is yeah. that like you can't do that with Labushkin there. Yeah, like, maybe eventually. Like dry right now, it's Drysdale, Gudis, Labushkin. If yeah. Labushkin gets resigned, then where's Hellison going to go? Is he going to get a look ever? No. And so that that's why I just don't necessarily see 
him being here long term. Yeah, I mean, you um, you you probably do trade him. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, let's see. Olaf's berserker said, "Is power play two actually power play one?" Yes. I mean, I, yes. Which, which, wait, wait, which one is which? I don't know which one we're considering. Well, power which play one. two is the one that we think of as the bad one, which is the. Fowler. The Fowler one, okay. The, the Fowler, well, Fowler also plays with the other guys too. It's it's strange, but the Fowler, Vetrano, Strom, Henrique, Silverberg unit, their power play one. I don't have the minutes in front of me, but they're starting all the power plays. They're getting they're getting the most minutes. Like it's clear that they are the favored unit right now of the coaching staff. Very clear. Yep. Uh, Shake and Wink said, why is the Fowler lead group the number one, uh, Fowler led group the number one PP? We kind of touched on it. I think it's just reactionary to goals. Well, I also um, think that they, they just, they do a better job of keeping the puck, but they're not actually doing anything with it. But I think that that's why, is because they're just keeping it. <laughs> we got another question about it. Why we, We've kind of touched on this about Power Play 2, but uh, Lacombe Fowler, Drumbanger said, why is Jacob Silverberg on the second unit? I don't mind him on the second unit with, like, with the guys that are out, like the depth just isn't necessarily necessarily there. Like, who else do you want there? Yeah, and also like, like he he does a good job of retrieving pucks, of just making the simple play back up to the point. Like he's he's fine. L- yep. Leave leave Jacob alone. Appa in May, in May said, "Why are the Ducks so good?" Right now, it's because their their best players are playing like their best players. I mean, yep. that's really what it boils down to. Yep. Uh, Lacombe Fowler Drumbanger said, are the vibes back? Yes. And then he said, is the ketchup now free flowing the hashtag Troy Terry redemption arc? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's doing it. He's doing the thing. Yeah. Uh, Brad said, you've talked about Terry being paired with Zegers when he comes back in light of the past three games. Do you still feel that way? Uh, I do. Great question because they look, those three look great right now. Um, I I think think that, sorry, go ahead. Well, I mean, it's a tough question because then it, I think the, 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 the harder side of that is the Zegers side of it. Because then mm-hmm. who do you put Zegers with? You know, do you put Zegers on McTavish's wing with like Strom or Vetrano on the other side? Like, I, I guess that that's the trickier part of it. But hard to break up that line right now, though. Yeah, I I think that you break it up and you do Zegers and Terry. That's just my personal preference here. And I think you do the, the duos thing that we talked about last episode. Yeah. Um, I think you still stick with that and give it a shot. I think... What this shows is, I, I think the good thing with this is that you've seen proof of concept with this line working. And so it gives you an option to go back to if you need to. Um, Slowly Sandwich said, what do the lines look like once everyone is healthy and who gets traded slash waived? Well, Johnston for sure gets waived. I, I think yeah. that, that that's a for sure. I think also uh, Robert Hag gets waived. And I think, I mean, I think Bo Grew gets waived. I know we ta- said Jones probably last it's, episode it's i don't think it's gonna be jones just to the just the way they're using him and the way he's playing honestly J- jones mm-hmm. had another great game tonight i thought like creating offense drawing penalties like he he's playing well so yeah. let's see though so top line who's who's your top line center leo carlson we're assuming leo's in the lineup yeah i would do i mean if we're going off of kind of what i said i would do for the duos i would do carlson and Kalorn. I would mm-hmm. do the Strom, Vetrano, McTavish line, Terry and Zegers together. And wow. then you can throw on the right side of, uh, who do you put on the right side with, with Carlson and Kalorn? Yeah, that's the, that's the issue here. What do you, what do you do there? I'm asking your opinion. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I kind of want to, 
What I would do, I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip this all because I don't. Go for I don't, it. Go for it. I'm going McTavish with Terry. Okay. McTavish with Terry, Zegris, um, or no, sorry, uh, Carlson, Kalorn, Zegris, Vetrano on the left side. Vetrano or Strom with McTavish and Terry. Let's go Strom. Let's go Strom. Uh, and then Vetrano on the third line on the left wing, Henrique in the middle, and then, sure, you can put Silverberg there. Actually, no, put put Max Jones there. And then on the fourth line, you put... Oh, man, Brett Leeson's really getting shortchanged here. Okay, Brett Leeson on the third line. Brett Leeson on the third line with, with Vetrano and Henrique. And then fourth line... Ooh, this is getting tricky. Fourth line, Carrick... No Leeson, so we're going McGinn and Jones. Okay. okay. So this is Kalorn, Carlson, Zegris as your first line. Strom, McTavish, Terry as your second line. Vetrano, Henrique, Leeson as your third line. And McGinn, Carrick, Jones as your fourth line. Yeah. How's, okay. So how does that sound? I, sure. I mean, here. so I, I, I realized where I was going to go with it. I was going to go uh, Kalorn, Carlson, Leeson. Mm-hmm. Strom, McTavish, wow. Vetrano. <laughs> and then, uh, what is it? Uh, Terry, Zegris, Henrique, because we've seen proof of concept with that line in the past. Uh-huh. A- and then I would do McGinn, Carrick, Silverberg. Silverberg? Silverberg over Jones? Yep. That's, no, I don't agree with that. Okay. I mean, you could swap them in. That's fine. Jones is um, playing well. Okay. Uh, Leeson's there because I think he could be a good body to work with those guys. Uh, but I mean, open to changing things around. I like um, my lineup. Okay. Uh, Doom Krauser said, the question isn't if Dostal gets an NHL goalie goal. It's just a matter of when, what are your predictions on how long it takes Dostal to get his first NHL goalie goal? I'm going to go by the end of the season. I'll agree with you. Cause why not? By the end of the uh, season. Do the du- Weaver said, do the Ducks make the playoffs if 11, 23, and 6 all come back at point-per-game pace? Probably not, unfortunately. Probably just, not e- even, yeah. They've got so much ground to make up now. Um, but yeah, I would go probably not, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, and I don't see Drysdale being at a point-per-game pace. But but, but, it, but if, they, if, they make it a, if they make it at least competitive, then that's a win. Yep. Uh, Duck Shagonaut said, how can the Ducks work to defend leads differently late in games to avoid penalty troubles? Obviously, possessing the puck helps, but discipline has to be corrected when in their own zone. I mean, I don't think the penalties are a product of how they're playing. It's just, it's like we were talking dumb about plays. It's, it's just dumb decisions. It's like just, it's like kind of, woe is me. I was wronged. I'm the victim of the ref. And so I'm going to lash out. Like, you just got to cut that out. Like, no one cares. No one cares that the penalty wasn't called except you. Like, you've got to find a way to get over that. And I know that it sounds maybe tactless to say that to someone who's in the trenches, who's dealing with the, the issue, but that's the reality. The refs don't care. The other team doesn't care. The scoreboard doesn't care. You can't care either. Um, and compla- and so, complaining to the refs more is just going to open your team o- up to more penalties against. Yeah. So yeah, Marty St. Louis has a great quote on stuff like this. He says the league doesn't care. And I feel like this is one of those scenarios like, yeah, it, you can you can bang the drum that you were you were the victim in these situations, but it's not going to get you squat. And if you retaliate, it's it's going to make it much much worse, as we saw tonight. I mean, this game didn't have to be a four three game. Nope. And yes, I understand that the 
the Red Wings pushed, and maybe it would have been 4-3 as a result of that anyway. But Two the power Ducks, play goals for him in the, the th- in the third, though. The Ducks rolled out the red carpet for them to, yeah. to, to get back into it. Like, at 5-on-5 so. five five in the third, it was even. Like, it's not as if the Red Wings were generating and pushing a whole lot more than the Ducks were able to in the third period. It was yeah. the penalties that were the biggest issue for them. I agree. Uh, Mr. Jared asks, uh, how do we feel about the goodest signing? On one hand, I love the toughness and checking ability he brings to separate the player and the puck. On the other hand, he gives up some costly penalties that could easily have been avoided. I think it's still a net positive because of the stability he brings at five on five. And I love how he's kind of joining the rush more and Mm -hmm. creating offense. But yeah, the penalties are a big negative right now. No doubt. I don't know. I'm still I'm still on the it's a good signing. I uh, think it's a good signing. I think a little bit of recency bias on the penalties. And also the contract is, games. is is exactly, I think, just in line with what he's worth. It's not like an overpay or anything. Like yep. the term and the, and the costs are good. Plant Ranch 69 RIP said, I think preseason you guys said around 20 games until the Ducks were used to the new system under Cronin. How do you think the players have adjusted? So I want to recommend everyone to an article that our good friend Patrick, who's been on this podcast, wrote over the weekend because it was basically all about this question of mm-hmm. how the ducks have adjusted to the system. And I recommend reading that I tweeted it out. You can go find out my timeline, but I think that it's been a bumpy road. I think that in the very beginning when this team was full of energy, they were executing it to a T, but the way that Cronin wants his players to be fully 110% engaged, whether it's, you know, goal line to goal line, it's a taxing style and because it's so taxing physically it also becomes taxing mentally when you're tired on the ice it's harder to make good decisions and so there are times where there are pockets in the game where they look like just a buzzsaw and there are also pockets where they're just totally out of their depth making mistakes you know trouble keeping track of assignments and i i think a lot of that can be attributed to to fatigue but I think overall it's a passing grade though of how they've adjusted. Yeah. I, I think I think just by simply looking at the numbers, and sure, the defense is different and there are changes, but when you look at the the way this team has played this season versus last season and just the brand of hockey they're playing, it's significantly different. And you can see that there is buy-in there from the players. And so I think they've adjusted. I think, like you said, there are still things that they need to work on, but I think that there is buy-in. They've bought there. in. Yeah. They've bought in for sure. I yeah. think that that's like the most encouraging thing of all of it is that they they believe in what they're doing yep ducks jaggernaut said what are your top three bucket list nhl arenas to visit that you've never been to for me it's uh the bell center msg and probably whatever they're now calling um the toronto arena is it i don't know what it is scotiabank is it scotiabank now take your pick of canadian banks or companies and you'll probably get it um oh one of my three is seattle I think Seattle would Ooh, be very cool. That's a, that's a good call. Seattle would be a good one. Um, outside of that... I've I been to Boston. I, Boston's pretty cool. I have no interest in going to Boston. Um, okay. No interest in going to Philly. Been to Philly. I, I think Pittsburgh would be cool just to see Crosby, you know, like do it one more time. Yeah, but this is about arenas, I guess. Not arenas. see a player. If, it, if it's about arenas, then honestly, the only two that I really care to see would be Seattle and I think Vancouver would be really cool. Vancouver would be cool also. Yeah. Those two. Yeah. Those two. Yeah. Uh Lacombe Fowler Drumbanger said, uh, is Pavarbeek a pioneer now with the Leo development management plan? I mean, I think we're gonna start seeing it more and more. I think yeah. I think it I think it's the way it's going, the way that this is just kind of how progress happens in the NHL. Someone has to 
someone has to do it first for everyone else to then jump in line, I think that he could become a pioneer. Look at that. Yeah. So that's it for our Discord questions. But I did have this one from from Twitter that I want to mention from a uh, good friend of the show, Troy Terry's Confidence. Said, question for the pod. Am I reading too much into the fact that Terry doesn't wear an A anymore? I don't know. I have no clue. I, I don't either. I, I think it may, may just kind of rotate it around a decent amount. So I, I don't. I just I, don't pay attention to that. So I, I don't know. Maybe yeah. there's something to it. Maybe there isn't. I yep. have no clue. So now we're going to go to our Twitch and YouTube chat. So if you are in the chat, start throwing your questions in. If you've said it earlier, just for ease, please repost it with question just for ease for me. But if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast services, you can help support us at twitch.tv slash crash pond, where if you have Amazon prime, you get one free Twitch prime gaming sub. You can be just by just like our friend Lewis X 209 who resubbed. Guess how many months Lou's been subscribed for 57, 63. Oh dang, I was close. Shout it's out, getting cl- it, it's getting close to he, to that fun number. He's in his Evgeny Dodonov era. Yeah, and then Darko Theory resubbed also and also added just here to make sure Felix gives Rico the flowers he deserves. Thanks for the great content as always. Do you want to give uh, Adam Henrique his flowers? Has he been playing all that much differently, or is we, the, has just, he just been getting just, bounces? Just, just give this man his flowers. I'll give him. I'll give him flowers for getting a hat trick against his his former team. There you go. Uh, Ducks Jaggernaut said, uh, or Ducks Jaggernaut also subscribed. So thank you so much for that. And with that, you get special emotes in the chat, special badges next to your name. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days. Or you can find us at youtube.com slash crash pond. And if you have a YouTube account, and yes, I know everyone listening to this has a YouTube account. Everyone does at this point in time. Subscribe to our channel, like our videos. You can also do, there's the paid subscription there where there's no real benefit, but it does help us out. You can super chat us also, and we'll prioritize that right away on the show, no matter when it happens. So there is that. So we've got these questions and token tonk also just subscribed to us at prime. So thank you so much Shout out. for, for that. So, uh, let me see. Steven, uh, said, would you rather finish closer to 500 and go on a winning streak or try to for another top five pick? That is a great question because. Sure, the Ducks could use another great prospect that could make an impact in the next three years. Um, It just becomes kind of a matter of what's more important. And I think that right now, the way this team is built and the amount of prospects they've accumulated, maybe it's just my own need to see some good hockey, but I think that it's more important right now for this team to kind of string together wins and and show that it can produce at the NHL level. And maybe if that ends up being like, you know, they, they play well, but they still end up getting a top five pick, then sure. But I would rather see competitive hockey now than like gunning for a top five pick. They got Pavel Minchikov when they had the 10th overall pick. So it's, yeah. not, as it, it's not as if they're you're not going to get a talent. Like you're not, there's not talented players that you can find if you have a good scouting staff. You're not going to get the, the bona fide top end players like Aleo Carlson, but there are still high end players that you can get there. Um, and the other thing I want to mention is, so last week, I think we had mentioned the um, we had mentioned the the converse the phone conversation you had that you and I had that was basically a podcast, um, and you had mentioned to me uh, that Arpen Basu had seen Mason McTavish last year. Oh yeah, when they came to Montreal and Zegers. and they just looked dead right in yeah. the eyes. Like, and and then Mason McTavish said something to him this season along the lines of ask it when Arpin asked him what did he learn from last thing he's like I learned that I never want to have to ever go through that again yeah it took and a I toll th- on those guys mentally 
And I think that they now have accumulated enough of that high end talent where building that that building that team chemistry, building the the ability to win games, they are in the build portion of the rebuild. Yeah. And so I think that that is that is the important part of this. Um, Jonathan Felix, I want to give him a shout out because uh, we just got this in a super chat from him at 499. So thank you so much saying, guys, I asked this before and you gave a low percentage on Gibson getting traded this year. What is the percentage Gibson gets traded now? Well, there's more rumors now, it seems. And yeah. I don't know how like well-founded they are, but I do know that there was the whole like, there's just seems to be more desperate teams right now, which helps. Well, it feels like there's more teams that also need goaltending. Yeah. All of a sudden, well, the like, Red Wings just can't stay healthy in net. And, and now you also have the the Hurricanes needing goaltending. Like yep. I, I think at the end of the day, it's still low due to the contract. I think the contract makes this all seem low. It's the same reason why Eric Carlson wasn't moved last year during yep. the season. Like it's just really hard with the amount of money to make that work. So I still would put it pretty low. But I think maybe it's more likely now than I originally thought. Maybe ten percent. You know, I'll go fifteen percent. Okay, I'll, I'll go a little higher because it, there's just the, the amount of goalie injuries and like I think we were talking about this in Discord the other day, but like the Devils, like they need the, like they're all in on this season. Like I, I think that they, yeah, they're they may reach a desperation point where well, if they, if they make an offer that you just can't refuse, like you just do it. And so. the other the other report from this though is that Pavlovic is holding a really high price for Gibson, yeah. which he should. As he should. I mean, Gibson's playing really well right now. Gibson's playing really well right now. If you trade him, it does somewhat hurt this team, right? Because you're losing a quality goalie. Yeah. And the contract doesn't hurt this team necessarily that much. And so there's no real like incentive to necessarily trade Gibson at this moment. So Paverbeek holds other cards. Correct. Yep. And we we saw, for better or worse, what he does when he has leverage. Yeah. He will take you to task. <laughs> so... I would say if he gets traded, there should there's going to be a good return. Yeah. Yeah, I think that they, they could get something of interest. And just the fact that this kind of market is forming is what is having me increase the odds a little bit. Like just the fact that there's more teams that need it and that all these teams are in win now mode and that the Ducks hold all the cards. Like that price could just keep going up and up and up to the point where, where Beak just has to press yes, the yes button. Yep. So DB DB Lowry said, uh, question is it ketchup or cats up? It's ketchup. What is this ketchup thing from? Is that a British I, thing? I don't know. I've seen it before, but I don't know. It's um, it, it's it's uh, ketchup. Yeah, ketchup uh, is D- bad. DB Lowry said, "Favorite Ducks Red Wings moment: Game four and 03 or Game five and 07? Game five and 07. Well, we watched that one during we the, did the crazy during shutdown pa- times pandemic. Yeah, Ga- yeah. Game Game five and 07 just for the finish like that. That is a moment, a memory for me." Game four and 03, I don't have the like clear recollection on. But game five and 07 is one that I remember where I was at when it happened. Yeah. Uh, Token Tonk said, question, thoughts on a Gibson trade when Dostal is starter ready? Thoughts? I mean, my thoughts are yes. Like, if, if Dostal is starter ready, then, like, it's like we were just saying, you don't have to trade Gibson, but you can address other needs on this roster, like people are bringing up in the chat, like addressing maybe adding some scoring on the wings, adding some offense down, down the wings. Like there's a benefit to trading John Gibson also just getting out of his contract. Like it's a, yeah, it's something that you have to start considering if, if Dostal shows that he's ready for that, that starter role. Yep. 
Steve Hachigian said, don't we need another top six winger from a top five pick? I mean, with a pick, you don't want to necessarily prioritize what you need. Well, here's the issue, though. Here's the issue with that is that there aren't really like this is a weird draft. Like, I don't know how deep into the weeds you've gotten with this draft yet. or I haven't yet. But it's kind of a weird draft where like there's not really like a true consensus, and there's a lot of there's a, this draft is particularly D heavy. Like a lot of the top guys are on the blue line, you know, and so the 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 top top forwards we don't necessarily know yet how, how they're going to shake out if they're going to slide. Um, so I I just don't think that this draft, if you want to talk about needs, is really the draft that's that's going to address the the Ducks need unless you. You know, you think you can get like Caden Lindstrom later in the in the draft order, or like, I don't know. It, it, it's just a tough one. I'm just not particularly sold on this draft, and I I think I'm just listening to prospect people on it. It seems like there's a lot of interesting players, but there's not a lot of like sure things. So I just wouldn't really align my chips with this particular yeah, draft. Yeah, I mean, also there's the potential that it's gonna take a year or two, and the player might not necessarily align with your contending window specifically if you are like banking on that to like be like a massive piece for you. I think what the Ducks should be doing is looking for the right player that's in the young or early 20s that's a winger that can fill in for this team and slot in in yeah. that position. Kind of do I mean, what the Kings did with getting Kevin Fiala. Like yes. that to me is the great model of if someone like that comes available, you yeah. you cash in your excess prospects to go and Correct. get that player. Yeah. Correct. You you cash in all of the extra demon that the Ducks have, have assembled and you deal from a position of strength to address a position of weakness as compared to just purely relying upon the draft build. Like yeah. I don't think you can ever build directly with one specific area. You have to be you have to essentially build in multiple different ways. You can heavily weight one of the areas, but you can't only build through the draft because there, there's also there's also just no one the ducks are gonna draft that's gonna help immediately. And this team yeah. needs to be better sooner at this point. Yep. Yep, exactly. All right. So, uh, Sean Fight said, is Callie Klang uh, ready to be the backup? Uh, probably not. I mean, I haven't seen a ton of him in San Diego, but just judging on his track record, like I think he needs more time to, to season, to marinate in the AHL before making that jump. Yeah, and Stephen Hashijian said, uh, Trav- would Travis Konechny or Cole Perfetti fit? Perfetti would. Konechny, yeah. like... I mean, the thing Travis is, like, Konechny would help the Ducks, but is he... Just by virtue of being like a decent NHLer. Yeah. I mean, Travis Konechny, let me see. How old is Konechny? Uh, 29? Is he 29? Uh, 20, about to be 27 in March. Okay. So he's younger than I thought. Yeah, but still doesn't necessarily fit the aging window completely. I just really hate watching Travis Konechny play. I just yeah, hate, like, I hate the I, whole attitude. I also don't necessarily see the, uh, I don't necessarily see the, the, the Jets trading Cole Perfetti. Yeah, there's no way. I mean, if they were willing to trade Cole Perfetti, awesome. But he's the same draft class as Drysdale. Like he he ain't getting traded. No, like so. if there's someone in that age group though that you could end up finding it and prying away from from a team that has good underlying numbers, is someone that could produce. Like, sure, that that's what you should be targeting. It. I mean, Alex DeBrinca is a little bit older than you would want, but someone in that ilk, like when the the Senators got Alex DeBrinca, or I mean. If there's a Kirby Doc situation, not necessarily Doc as a center, but like yeah, that those types of situations, right? That's what yeah. you should be looking at. Um, all right, so we're gonna get to the shit show part of the questions or shit show questions part of the show. 
Um, let's see. So, someone is just bringing up Ronald McDonald in our chat. Who? Yeah. If that's actually your name, kudos to you. Um, mm-hmm. saying Cole Eiserman in our top six would be disgusting. Yeah, the Ducks aren't going to be bad enough to draft Cole Eiserman. Like he's uh, win the lottery. He's gonna go. He's gonna go top. He, despite everything, he's probably still gonna go in the top four. And I just, I'd be shocked if the Ducks were that bad. Although today they would have decent odds of being in there. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Plant Ranch 69 RIP had two shit show questions. Rank the uh, rank how or sorry, how many more games do the Pistons lose? This is a question for you. So I don't know if you're aware of this. I'm not. I don't know if you're aware of this. It's I basketball to, related, so I'm not. I mean, I wasn't really aware of this, and I I don't follow basketball that like the league wide that closely. But if you look at the Detroit Pistons in basketball right now, they have lost 24 games in a row. Oh shit! They are two and twenty-five this season. So they went two and one, and they haven't won since that time. <laughs> and this I saw even, I saw something about the Lions having won more games than the Pistons. This and this isn't even a year where there's like a top prospect to really go get, it's like a generational talent. So they, and and they've been rebuilding for years, and they've loaded up on young talent, and they have lost twenty-four games in a row. I'm gonna say they hit thirty. Let's just go with 30. Why not? Okay. Two and All 30. Right. And he said, rank the four Teenage Mutant mutant Ninja Turtles from Best Words. I'm not a huge Teenage Mutant Same. Ninja Turtles person. so No interest. No no answer for that. Duck Shagonet said, discuss why cornbread is the best kind of bread. Not a question, just an open forum. It's not. It's just not. I mean, cornbread is delicious. I don't know if I would say it's the best kind of bread because I think that's sourdough. But yeah. cornbread, cornbread is top tiered. Cornbread is delicious, but it it's almost like it's a treat. Like yeah, cornbread's it, a treat, and it has to be with a specific type of meal. Sourdough kind of goes with everything. Sourdough's great. Uh, French bread is great. Um, there's a lot of better breads than cornbread, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Plant Ranch sixty nine R I P said, uh, "Are tortillas bread? If so, tortillas are the best kind of bread." Well, so to be bread, now this is way out of my depth, but doesn't it have to um, be leavened? Yeah. I don't think a tortilla would qualify as that. So yeah. I'm going to say right. no. We got a couple more questions in our chat, so we'll get to them right now. DB Lowry said, do the Ducks have a better chance to win the Stanley Cup in the next five to ten years than the Oilers? Uh, the huh. roster construction is so bad, I can't see the Oilers ever having a chance besides pray to God McDavid and... I think he meant dry saddle, not Drysdale. Uh, score six to seven goals a night. Yeah, I mean that's a great question. Like, oh, we're getting called out by the way. Unleavened bread is a thing. Pita bread, pita is bread. So yeah, hey, I would say tortilla is bread. I said it, I was out of my depth. So okay, but go go on. Yeah, I also just don't care. Um, okay, but I'm not gonna say that the the team that doesn't have Connor McDavid has a better chance than the team that does. But once Connor McDavid leaves, which I think he will leave, then yes, the Ducks have a better chance. Next sure. five, next five years, no. Yeah, the five. But, what, to ten, but, the, but the, what's his contract though? No, like but assume- I'm just I'm just saying over the next five years, the Ducks don't have a better chance than the Oilers. I don't think so. But five, the five to ten year range of that, yes, I think the Ducks. Do. Well, McDavid's gone in three years or two seasons from potentially. now. Potentially, let's assume he's gone. Okay. They have a better, like, I don't know what's going to be left of the roster at that point. So, yes, I will say yes. If he leaves as a UFA to Toronto or LA or whatever, 
then yes, the Ducks do have a better chance. Miguel Gutierrez says, are you going to these upcoming season Angel games? Uh, I'll probably go to a few. I'm probably going to try to avoid spending money on the Angels with how Arden Arte. Moreno is and yeah. how frustrating that all is. But Worst owner I, in sports. I do want Luke to experience going to games. I, I think that's not going to stop me from going, but I'm going to limit the amount that I spend on it, I guess. Um Daniel Mee said, I don't understand why they hyped up the injured players going on the road trip. Then none of them played. Do they normally go on the road trips? Uh, I think it's a couple of things. One is the ducks are, were really hesitant to say anything about the, these injuries. And I think when they saw when word got out about how positively it was received, I think they may have thought, Hmm, this is probably good for morale, especially in the, in the losing streak. But I think they just hyped it up because it's a good sign. That like, hey, yeah. the guy, the guys are getting better, and that they're slowly but surely going to return to the lineup. So, I think it, and I think that there was a thought that maybe one of them will play. Um, and yeah, like it is normal for when a guy is injured and he's close to start traveling with the team again, because he may be cleared during the road trip, or you just want to test how the injury reacts to flying and and to the constant wear and tear, the lack of sleep, and all of that. So. I do, I do understand the frustration and the disappointment because I myself am disappointed. I mean, we 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 changed our whole schedule of podcasting last week last around week, the yeah. around yeah. the idea that one of them was going to play and they didn't. So I get it, but also like it, it's it's a mix of all those things. I'd rather them be safer than sorry. You don't yeah. want them to reaggravate these injuries and have it be another month months without them. Correct. So uh, Muhammad Zegras had question: Is Lundstrom guaranteed an extension, or do you see a world where Pat let him lets him walk? Yes, I could see a world where Pat lets him walk. Yeah, I mean, they were talking about it on the broadcast tonight about how like this is a big year for, you know, for Max Jones, how he could how he could go. And like I've never heard them kind of openly talk about a I don't want to say a household name player, but like a, a homegrown player like that before. But I guess, you know, Pat Verbeek has this precedent now of letting guys go that the team drafted, like Sam Steele, Josh Mahura. It would really suck for Lundestrom because of the injury, but yeah, it's totally possible that they let him walk, especially just with, you know, how Pat wants to build this roster. I mean, we've Lundestrom seen him might, do it. Lundestrom might not just fit that. I mean, we've seen him do it with Sam Steele, Max Comtois, uh, yeah, Sonny Milano. Like, there's a history of him doing this with guys. Yeah. So, you're like, yeah, I, I think if he does not think a qualifying offer makes sense, then he won't give it to him. Um, Dennis Wheeler said Artie does not deserve any more of his money. Sell Artie, sell. Uh, yep, I completely understand that that uh, that avenue of thought. Uh, Sean Fight said, does CM Punk headline a day of WrestleMania this year? Rollins versus Punk, probably, and I'll hate it. I I despise CM Punk at this point in time. So there's that. Uh, Roots Twenty said, which ballpark has the best garlic fries, and why is it Oracle Park? Never been to Oracle Park, so can't say. They have great garlic fries, but I haven't had other garlic fries so i can't really compare in other ballparks um yeah Yeah. baseball hurts to think about right now yeah all right let's let's end with this question from nicholas rage uh said what would you all think about adding huberto assuming his value isn't great right now and calgary decides to pull the plug i know it's a heavy contract but his money is basically all basically accounted for in silverberg and henrique alone yeah i don't know i'm not a jonathan huberto fan I'm not either, and I think the other issue is just age, right? Like, sure, he's, you can make He's playing argue. really bad this season. He He's playing really bad. You have the fact of... I'm trying to look up actually how long his, his contract, contract is. His contract is just awful. It's like, like eight... It's eight. It was an eight-year deal when it was signed. 
Yeah, I'm trying to see right now. I mean, yeah, because he's 30 ten, years old ten, right now. 10.5. He's in year year one of this deal, which is an eight-year extension. So there's seven more years after this at 10.5 million. Yeah. Like, I just, I don't see that happening. And you don't want his age 30, 30 through 38 years. Like, it just doesn't make any sense for the team. And even if that money, money's accounted for in Silverberg and Henrique, like the Ducks are gonna have to pay their own guys. Like you don't want to be paying a guy ten and a half million that's not your guy. Jonathan as, as... Jonathan Huberto greatly benefited from being in that Panthers system that kind of juiced up his point totals. Like not saying he's he's not a I'm not saying he's not a talented player, but like um, the like, only way the only way I could do that, I would do the trade for him, is if somehow you got double retention. <laughs> which just no one's going to do. No, one, no you, one. You're going to have to pay for that. It, it's going to yeah. negate the value of getting Huberdo. Yeah. There, there's no way. Like if you could get it down to like in the three or four mil, maybe you he think also about a, it. He also has a no move clause. Yeah. So I, I, I just don't see that necessarily. Also, happening. can I just say this? Yeah. This is going to, you know, potentially ruffle feathers. Well, it probably won't, but I just have this thing where, any player that's represented by Alan Walsh, I just immediately <laughs> like less. Like, did you see his whole rant about the David Perron thing? No, but Perron deserved to be suspended. He was he was complaining that the that the suspension against Perron was too severe because of whatever. And it's like because dude, of Jacob Truba not getting a suspension. Your, your yeah, guy straight that. up cross checked a dude's head like blatantly. Like yeah. you are, no one is crying for you. And it's just been like this over and over again with Alan Walsh and his clients. Like the the famous sword going through the, you know, Mark Andre Fleury's back. Like he just goes to bat for these players that just don't. I'm gonna say don't deserve it, but like he goes over the top, it's especially when like the facts just like aren't on your side. And I actually don't know what the status of Perron's appeal is because they appealed it. Um, but yeah, so like just the whole Huberto thing, like. I think there's very much a reason that last year there was all these leaks about how bad it was with Daryl Sutter. And it's because all of, I mean, so much of the media is in Alan Walsh's pocket and, or not well, just pocket, but like he I, talks to the media a ton. I would also say it's hypocritical of him to be, to criticize the league for being too harsh with a suspension for a cross check to the head when he's also one of the heaviest critics of the league with uh, concussions yeah. and, and headshot protocols. So like it, I, it's, I, I, I get that those two can logically coexist because you're saying that based on the standard that they've applied, this punishment doesn't make sense. But also to your point, if you're going to constantly rail against like the league's inaction on, on concussions and head trauma, mm -hmm. then you look like an absolute moron when you're railing against this blatant act of violence by your player, your client, like it's just, he just sucks. He just totally sucks. And I just wouldn't want any part of that. Yep. There might be ducks players that have Helen Walsh as their agent. I don't know. I don't think I don't, so. I don't either. Yeah. So, and I think that that's a, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. All right. Let's get on out of here. Okay. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. This was a blast. Um, really enjoyed all the questions and the banter at the very end. If you want to help support the podcast, there's a few really easy ways to do that. The number one way is to go check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash crash the pond. Uh, for $2 a month, you get access to our patrons only discord server. It's a lot of fun in there. You get to connect with other diehard ducks fans. And then you can also upgrade that to, I think it's seven fifty. Yes. And you get, you get access to two bonus podcasts and you get access to bonus player breakdown videos um, that I make. So we've got up, we've got one up right there that's about Olin Zellweger. So it's just about all his shifts in an AHL game, keeping track of the prospects and their progress. And that's been a lot of fun to do. 
Um, gonna try to get a few more of those out here in December. We'll have some more time. Uh, that's all at patreon.com slash crash the pond. You can also leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We will read your review. If you leave it there, we'll read it on the show. We love hearing from you guys. Um, and then you can also leave us some feedback and subscribe to us on Spotify. You can subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, we've got the video version of the podcast there, player breakdown videos, shorts. Um, you can find us on all social media, Instagram, TikTok. Yes, unfortunately, TikTok. Um, we are on X, formerly known as Twitter as well. We both are. Just search Crash the Pond there and our names will pop up. On that note, thank you everyone for listening and we will talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye.